0: Devotion to the Word of God is paramount for every Christian. But how does one rightly interpret Scripture? This holy book is sacred. This holy book must be read and understood correctly. You're listening to the Book of Jude.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Book of Jude. We are in Revelation eight. We're moving right along. If this is if this episode is hitting after Good Friday and 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 uh, Easter, happy Resurrection Day to everyone. Our Lord and Savior Jesus was crucified. He was buried, but yet He beat death. As we spoke. In the beginning of Revelation, he has the keys to death and Hades. He he's the Lord over all the universe, and he has beat death, resurrected, and he is alive forevermore. So, this, um, the the resurrection, the the death burial resurrection of Jesus, is why you're a Christian. This separates us from. All the other religions, and our belief in the real Jesus, our belief in the Trinity—the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—as presented to us in the Bible—separates us from all the other religions, and all the religions who call themselves Christians or say they believe in Jesus, um, but they. They're believing in the wrong Jesus. We, we have two different uh, persons that we refer to as Jesus. So, hey, I'm not here to preach a sermon, but happy Resurrection Day to you. Revelation 8. Revelation 8. We don't get very far before we see some things happening. So let's get into it. If you haven't read Revelation 8, pause it, go read it, and then come back. Here we go. Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. So first things first, the first part of verse 1, the Lamb is opening the seventh and final seal of the scroll. So there were seven seals on the scroll. We couldn't see in the scroll. We could see the, remember, we could see the, uh, the words on the outside of the scroll because it's rolled but the inside of the scroll we can't see and he's opening the seventh one he's about to break it he has the authority to do so and um so we're about to unravel the scroll right so that's that's what we're getting set up to do so the scroll cannot be opened until all the seven seals were broken and that's what's uh happening here now then it says there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Several interpretations. There's not just one right answer, but I think by the end of all these interpretations, I think we can uh, marry a couple of them together and kind of get a clear understanding of this. But the, the scene we're presented is the Lamb, Christ, just broke the seventh seal, and now the contents of the scroll is known to the audience. Okay. So why is silence in heaven? Well, there's, there's many interpretations. Like I said, one is that all other prayers cease so that the prayers of the suffering saints are heard. This, this interpretation is saying, this is the end of the age. This is it. All other prayers are ceased in heaven on earth, maybe. Uh, but, God wants to hear uh, the prayers of the suffering saints, which we have already discussed throughout. I mean, it, it makes sense throughout the book of Revelation. We we know that there are suffering saints. All right, so there's one view. Now, the only problem I have with that view, and these these are theolog. I mean, this is not my neighbor Bob's views. Okay, this <laughs> this these are views coming from scholarly works. Uh, and I, I don't agree with that. I I just don't. We're not told. That that's what's happening. So we're, we're going to move forward and see what else we have. There's silence in heaven because it's shock in all shock and all the realization. or oh, as my wife likes to say, the realization of the lamb as judge. They're astonished. The lamb is the judge. So. We have to take ourselves out of the equation here. They just saw, they remember John hears the line of Judah, lion, fierce, big, but he sees the bloodied lamb of God, the bloody lamb standing. That's a. That would be something to cause uh, shock and all. And then the lamb is the one who is now the judge like the lamb as judge so wow we did not see that coming yeah so there's a there's the shock and all uh there's the lamb the marred lamb of god and there's the silence and then that that's one uh that's another interpretation i like that one better than the previous one that's that's a good one i like that now we have some more it's uh Apocalyptic decreation to primordial conditions. What? Apocalyptic decreation to primordial conditions. So you have Genesis. The thinking is you have Genesis, right? You have um this silence before God begins to create. And I'm just um I'm not pointing to anything specific. I'm just telling a story and paraphrasing you have a silence, you have uh, chaos, you have God begin to create and put things in order. So if that's Genesis, then what's Revelation? God destroying everything, decreating it back to the silence of the the universe without mankind, without animals, without the waters, the land and sea, whatever. Okay, we're not going to get into a creation debate but that that that's what the thinking is whether i agree with it or not or you but that's what the thinking is so decreation, back to you know hitting the reset button as dr heiser says hitting the reset button um and i'm going to quote some second temple jewish literature and just a reminder second temple jewish literature uh is not the bible is not canon i i always reference enoch or or Uh, Baruch, Ezra, which I'm about to do here. Um, It's not the Bible. It's not canon. It's not, but it's, it's literature that they had available to them so much so that in Peter and Jude, they use and reference the book of Enoch. And I think we've talked about that before, but um, it's available to them and they used it. It's, it was in their thinking and their theology, if you will. So. Um, I think it's important to, to to know it as well. All right, so so what talks about the decreation back to primordial conditions? Fourth Ezra, you could also see Ezra, Esdras, E-S-D-R-A-S. Fourth Ezra links silence to God's creation and end-of-the-age decreation. Four Ezra 6, 38 and 39. And I said, O Yahweh, you spoke at the beginning of creation and said on the first day, let heavens and earth be made, and your word accomplished the work. And then the Urach, the spirit, was hovering, and darkness and silence embraced everything. The sound of man's voice was not yet formed. That's the creation. Darkness and silence embraced everything. So into the darkness and silence, God spoke by his word. The spirit was hovering. This is, this is what it says. So if we, now if we go to um, the next chapter for Ezra, chapter 7, verse 30, here's what it says, verse 30. And the world shall be turned back to primeval silence the seventh day as it was at the first beginnings, so that no one shall remain. So in this interpretation, there was silence in the beginning, and it'll be reset back to silence. And that he uses the seventh day as to connect the creation with the decreation. Which, agree with it or not, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, Another another piece of literature, Second uh, Apocalypse of Baruch, chapter 3 it poses the question or shall the world return to its nature of a for time and the age revert to prime evil silence and shall the multitude of souls be taken away and the nature of man not again be named so once again same thinking different different a different uh, book listen we don't find this in the text when we don't find this in the book of Revelation Uh, It must be read into the text, which it's dangerous. It's dangerous to do that. I'm just explaining to you this interpretation and the the support it has. I think the, the thing we can take away from it is that there was a thinking or an ideology that God began it all and God will end it all. And he'll hit the reset button. So we're just gonna we'll summarize it like that. All right. Next we have silence and temple liturgy, incense, altar, prayers, etc. Remember, we we've had all this. Remember, uh, let's not forget where we're what we've been reading and studying this whole time. So we have the incense, we have the altar, we have prayers. So for this one, I'm gonna. Uh, referred to Habakkuk 2:20, but the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him but the Lord is in his holy temple which this is this is where we're at I mean Habakkuk Old Testament obviously but this idea of the Lord being in his temple if and when he's doing this uh, let the earth keep silent before him another bit of information that you may not know is a uh, letter of Aristeas uh, verse 96 this letter if you look it up letter of Aristeas uh, a-r-i-s-t-e-a-s this was a letter from Aristaeus to I-, I forget who but just explaining why the Septuagint was created LXX I'm not going to ex- explain that to you because you better know you better know <laughs> what's the LXX you better know I've said it a million times, but it's a letter explaining why it was created and the people involved. So this this is what it says. Verse 96 um, of that letter, the most complete silence reigns so that one might imagine that there was not a single person present, though there are actually 700 men engaged in the work besides the vast number of those who are occupied in bringing up the sacrifices, everything is carried out with reverence and in a way worthy of the great God. So according to this, you had 700 men engaged in work, bringing up sacrifices, working in the most complete silence. How silent? It was like not a single person was present. Again, this theory is uh, the silence as it is with temple liturgy. These sacrifices, the altar, the incense, the prayers, very reverent. We read this. This we see in Revelation. I'm going to quote on, as, we, as I have before, the magnificence of God can be proclaimed not through speech, but also and perhaps even more profoundly through silence. Think about being in the temple think about being what they what would they say close to god i i'm in the temple I, I am so close to god there there's the holy of holies right next door right right there let's be reverent that's the idea and if if habakkuk tells us anything when the lord is in his temple let the earth keep silent all right and we'll see Habakkuk come up again later. You can also see uh, the Mishnah Tamid 5, 1-6 in the Testament of Adam 1.12. One now, before I tell you what that is, now this I will go over again. I, I know I've done it before, maybe in another series, maybe in the How We Got the Bible series, but um, just wanna, I don't want to lose anybody. So if you're taking notes, here we go. First, you have the talmud the talmud t-a-l-m-u-d this is the discussions and commentary on jewish history law customs and culture the talmud learning and instruction consists of the gemara and the mishnah so you have the talmud and within it you have the gemara and the mishnah well what are those the mishnah is the Oral Law, Oral Law, as opposed to the Torah, the first five books of of Moses, of the Bible, which is the Written Law. So you have the Written Law, the Torah, and then you have the Mishnah, which is the Oral Law, all a part of the Talmud. You also have, what was the other one? Gemara, which is a commentary of the Mishnah. (laughs) Confused? So we have the Oral Law and the Written Law, and we also have a commentary on the Oral Law. Gemara. That's what that is. Now, what did I just say? I said, see also the Mishnah Talmud. I'm not saying Talmud. I'm saying T-A-M-I-D. Talmud, this is a narrative about what happened in the temple, the order of holy things. It discusses the daily temple service, which with a with a focus on the burnt offerings brought every morning and afternoon. That's why I brought that up. And then chapter five of that, verses one through six, it's a lot, but if you can you can you can Google it, you can look it up, and you can read it. It's the order of the holy things. And then the other one was the testament of Adam, uh, 1.12, 1.12, uh, testament of Adam one point twelve and Mishnah Tamid five one to six. Beal kind of breaks it down, this this theory to us, and I and I like it. I wanna we're we're back in Revelation. <laughs> Uh, This is Beal, the Mishnah's explanation. Okay, what's the Mishnah? It's the oral law, the oral law. The Mishnah's explanation of the background of the liturgy of the daily sacrifices in the temple makes even more cogent the association of prayer with silence in Revelation 8.1. Yes, that's right, kids. We're still in verse one. The order, that wasn't a quote. That was me piping in. Back to the quote. I'm sorry. The order of the service roughly resembled the order of some of the significant images in the apocalypse. Revelation, also known as apocalypse. Uh, Revelations chapters 1 to 3, trimming of the seven lamps. Revelation 5, 6, slaying the sacrificial lamb. Revelation 6, 9, pouring of the sacrificial blood at the base of the altar. Revelation 8, four to five, which you're going to see here in a second offering of incense during a time of silence and prayer, revelation eight, six, the next verse, the burnt offering and drink offering revelation 16, one, the burnt offering and drink offering together with the sounding of trumpets, which is revelation eight, six and singing of Psalms, revelation 19, one to eight. So that's very, that's in quote, that's a very interesting, uh, Beale kind of breaks it down that what is happening in John's vision, what is happening in the heavenly courts, in God's temple in heaven, the idea of this, um, it's it's connecting all the dots. And so I like this theory. I like this interpretation. Um, But there's one more. There's one more. I like this theory, and I just want to marry it to this next one. And we can put them all together, actually. Judgment. Judgment is coming. Why is there silence in heaven? Why is there silence? Because the lamb just broke the seventh seal and stuff's about to hit the fan. It's about to go down. Judgment is coming. Impending judgment is now known to God's creation. This interpretation combines the shock and awe with the destruction of the world. So let me read to you a lot of Old Testament. Listen to this. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Psalm 115, 17. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Psalm 31, 17b. Sit in silence and go into darkness, Isaiah 47, 5a. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere silence Amos 8 2 to 3 and these next two Old Testament passages are referencing Babylon which we are going to see later on in Revelation so kind of put these in like brackets these are these are specific Old Testament passages Lamentations 2 10 and 11 The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the street of the city. Again, that's Lamentations 2, 10 to 11. And again, this next one, we've already read it, but this is, again, I want this to be bracketed. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his temple, his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. These two are about Babylon. And, and so uh, because we're going to see Babylon used later, I want you to remember these. But there's more. There's more, Zechariah 2.13, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Isaiah 41, listen to me in silence. And, and the last one here is First 1 Maccabees 1 to now, 4. Now this one is, is going to be separated because, one, this isn't an Old Testament passage. This is apocryphal work. I just want to use this as an example of silence used in the wake of destruction. After Alexander the Macedonian, who is Alexander the Great, if you didn't know, after Alexander the Macedonian defeated Darius, the king of the Persians and the Medes, he became king in his place. Having first ruled in Greece, he fought many battles, captured fortresses, and put the kings of earth to death. He advanced to the ends of the earth, gathering plunder from many nations. The earth fell silent before him. And his heart became proud and arrogant, and he collected he collected a very strong army and won dominion over provinces, nations, rulers, and they paid him tribute. So this is talking about Alexander the Great's uh, victories, but it's we see the destruction, and then the earth fell silent before him. I just want to throw that in there. I think you get the point from that so yeah that's that's verse one <laughs> revelation eight verse one which what made more sense to you i don't i'm not i don't think there's a right or wrong answer i th- i liked where we just kind of married them all pretty much um except for the first one to be quite honest but um you know what say you I'm just trying to make sense of it too so Um, but I hope you're enjoying it. I really do. All right. I need a break. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll, I don't know, go to verse two. Maybe we'll get through Revelation eight, maybe two verses today. We'll see. (laughs) We'll be right back after the break.
0: you're listening to the book of jude connect with us on social media search at book of jude on facebook instagram and twitter chaplain jude posts frequently with additional resources for you to further your study of god and his word feel free to ask questions or leave comments remember prayer requests are always welcome thank you for listening to the book of jude now back to the show
1: Welcome back to the book of Jude, Revelation eight, verse two. Now that we know there's silence in heaven. (laughs) So what happens next? Verse two, then I saw the seven angels who are stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. All right. So the scrolls open, seven trumpets, judgments, judgment is coming. And it was the seven trumpets are given to the seven angels. Now, who are the seven angels that stand before God? Because it would be really easy for us to say, "Oh, well, in the in the beginning of this, we saw seven angels in the seven churches." Right? I remember the seven angels in the seven churches, but Dr. Heiser and most scholars say, "No, these, these are not the seven angels of the seven churches." Why? Those angels have a specific task to those churches. This scene involves angels who are performing judgment on the earth. John's letter, the book of Revelation, I think we we lose a lot when we say the book of Revelation, but this letter to these seven churches, we're still talking to them. John is still talking to them. God, through John, is still talking to them. He's saying, this church, you're doing good. I have a problem with you. This, this thing is happening, this, that. And these, these churches, uh, the Christians are being persecuted. Remember, um john a fellow partner brother in in the tribulation that they're all going through they're all going through tribulation therefore these are not representatives of what we see now the seven angels that stand before god and let me just say again we see the word angels again angel means messenger we saw celestial beings over the seven churches and in the beginning, in here in chapter eight, we're seeing additional celestial beings uh, that have a task uh, that were given the trumpets, and they're going to uh, be performing judgment upon the earth. Now, where does this come from in either Old Testament or uh, Second Temple Jewish literature? Well, we know of archangels or archangels found in jewish apocalyptic writings now this we know some scholars believe these to be the angels of chapter 8 so who are these uh tobit 12 15 i am raphael one of the seven angels who stand and serve before the glory of the lord okay so raphael Leonardo, Donatello, no, that's the Ninja Turtles. All right. Chaplain Jude, let's get back on. All right. Uh Raphael with seven, one of the seven angels who stand before the Lord. All right. First Enoch. Now, you're gonna get you wanna know who the seven are? The book of Enoch's gonna tell you. But uh first Enoch 20, one to eight. And these are the names of the holy angels who watch. Urio, one of the holy angels who is over the world and over Tartarus. Raphael, one of the holy angels who is over the spirits of men. Uh, Raguel, one of the holy angels who takes vengeance on the world. Uh, Michael, uh, one of the holy angels set over the best part of mankind over chaos. Saraquel, probably not. Uh, One of the holy angels who is set over the spirits who sin in the spirit. Gabriel one of the holy angels who is over paradise and the serpents and the cherubim. Remiel, one of the holy angels whom God set over those who rise. All right, so that's Enoch 21. Also, First Enoch 81.5, and those seven holy ones brought me and placed on the earth. So in the book of Enoch, they're called angels. They're called, of course, messengers. They're called um, archangels. They're called seven holy ones. First, later on, First Enoch 90, and the Lord called those men the seven first white ones. The burning ones, the first, the white ones, they're, these are all referring to the same, but we just see the seven, seven, seven again. So uh, a lot of scholars believe that these are the, the seven archangels that John is referring to, and they're about to hand out judgments. You don't have to believe that. The easy thing to say is just these are additional seven heavenly beings that God is about to give a mission to, and that's it. Uh, But I did want to reference that because, you know, it's it's not Old Testament, but it's Second Temple Jewish literature. I just thought that was very interesting, and I know I have used Enoch a lot, and so I just wanted to, I didn't want you not to know about that either. Okay, and another angel, another being, came and stood at the altar with golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Here we go. Everything we just talked about with verse one, uh, verse four, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Verse five, then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. All right, so prayer as incense in the Old Testament is prayer accepted by God. Write that down. Prayer as incense in the Old Testament is prayer accepted by God. We're still in God's holy temple. Everything that we talked about in verse one applies here too. It all makes sense. It all comes together. Revelation 8-4, we just read, uh, in the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the right hand of the angel. Let's look at Old Testament. Psalm 141, 1-2. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, the smoke of the incense in the Old Testament temple we find in Leviticus 16, 12 to 13. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. I hope it's all coming together for you. Something holy is happening. Listen, incense was added to the burning sacrifice so that it would be acceptable to God. Read Leviticus 16 and kind of underline or highlight these, these words, these terms that are jumping out at you. You know, 16 uh, verses 11 to 19, which we just read 12 and 13, but 11 to 19, that's the day of atonement, the day of atonement. This is very specific Old Testament passages. Leviticus 2, we see a pleasing aroma. Exodus 29, pleasing aroma. Exodus 30, we have the altar of incense. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God now that's Paul in Ephesians 5 2 we have the lamb the sacrifice the sacrificial lamb fragrant offering sacrifice to God Christ loved us gave himself up for us um, do you see how it all just comes together it's a beautiful again John is you John didn't use Ephesians 5 2 by the way you see how John just pulls from everything once again and just uses all all whether whether he you know the vision he sees it he's there whatever happened uh, he's just pulling all this together and presenting this mosaic if you will and of course the end of verse five peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake you should know this a theophany a visible manifestation this is common when God shows up it happens in Revelation four five it'll happen. Uh, he, you know, it happens here, Revelation 8, uh, Revelation 11, 19, and again in chapter 16, verse 18. And this all should remind us of the Sinai theophany. Back to Mount Sinai, right? Now, I also want to point out that verses 3 to 5 of this chapter in Revelation 8 is somewhat modeled after Ezekiel 10, 1 to 7. A celestial being filling its hand with burning coals and throwing it or scattering it on the earth. Now, that's Jerusalem in Ezekiel. Just like John used the mark of protection for the righteous in Revelation 7, last episode, just as he did that with Ezekiel 9, we still see him using chapter 10 of Ezekiel here in chapter 8 of Revelation. Let me just say that again. In Revelation 7, John used Ezekiel 9, the mark of protection. In Revelation 8, a portion of it, John is using Ezekiel chapter 10. And you should know this, but by the way, if you don't, chapters and verses did not exist in John's time. So we're not saying that John is is uh well I'm gonna use verses one to ten of Ezekiel for <laughs> he's just he's just using what he knows, right? Chapters and verses did not exist in John's time. Just I just want everybody to know that. Uh, but allow me to quote some of Ezekiel 9 for a reminder, and then I'll read Ezekiel 10 to B. So Ezekiel 9, read the whole chapter, of course, but verse 1, bring near the executioners of the city. Uh, verse 2, his weapon for slaughter is in his hand, and with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Verse 4, pass through the city through Jerusalem and put a mark on everybody's foreheads of the righteous. Verse 5, pass through the city and strike, show no pity. Verse 6, kill everyone, but touch not the one. Remember this from last last episode. Touch not the one who has the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they begin with the elders who were before the house. Verse 7, verse 7. So they went out and struck the city. Remember John using that um, in chapter 7. And now we see John using chapter 10, and I'll read to you uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 10, verse 2, the the last part of 2. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, which is the altar, and scatter them over the city, Jerusalem. So in Ezekiel, we're talking about Jerusalem. In Revelation, we're talking about the earth. And he's not scattering it. He's throwing it. Same difference, as we say. Same difference. So there's your Old Testament use in the first few verses of Revelation 8. Next time you hear my voice, we're going to be talking about verse 6 to 13, the seven trumpets and what they represent. Spoiler alert. It has something to do with the Old Testament. <laughs> as you go out, as you go out, be a witness, be a testimony, make disciples in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, happy Resurrection Day. Our Lord has paid the price, and He has beaten death. And we, even though we don't deserve it, have salvation. He has the name above every other name. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for uh, being faithful to us and. Uh, extending your grace and your mercy, your grace, the unmerited favor, something we can never work for to obtain, something that we do not deserve. And I'm reminded of that every day. And yet you loved us while we were still sinners. God bless.